Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. What do you think about hugging? How many of you like hugging? How many of you? Again, up. How many of you don't like hugging? Be honest. <laughs> Guys, right? How, how, many, how many women don't like hugging? Yeah, you're kind of shy in hugging, yeah. Kind of like a, the one-armed hug, you know. Uh, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you saw the, the somebody put a post up uh, on Facebook a couple weeks ago about uh, the benefits of the 22nd hug. You see that? And, and it's supposed to uh, help release this uh, neurotransmitter called oxytocin. And uh, I thought it said Oxycontin, but, <laughs> but it's like that. It's kind of like it makes you feel good. Um, but listen, uh, just do your 20-second hug at home, all right? Because you make people feel uncomfortable if you do it here. Sometimes women will say, yeah, I get a 20-second hug from some guy, and it's like very uncomfortable. So, But you should... You should get a hug every day. How many of you get a hug every day? I hope you do. If you don't, uh, Steve's out at the door, and he likes to hug. Uh, but in, that embracing, that idea of hugging, it, it, especially, now I know we do the polite Christian hug, the one-arm hug. It's like, I don't know what we do on the other hand, drinking our coffee or eating our banana. But embracing is like a, a two-armed hug. It's like you get your arms involved and you draw the person close and you just hug them. Uh, it brings a blessing. It's just something good about it. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today was embracing God's plan for your life. Um, I don't know how you feel about embracing God, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, as I said, I, I love Hebrews chapter 11. Um, there's all these people. I, I forgot how many, uh, I don't know if there's 15 or whatever number, just all kinds of people you've got uh, uh, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and uh, Esau, even Esau's in there, um, uh, Moses and uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and and then you get to Jesus, and it's like, wow. Because, you know, these, they all point to him, right? That's why I think Hebrews 12 uh, arrives at Jesus, because they all point to him. Um, and there's kind of like, for me, the big three, Abraham slash Sarah, you know, one of the great patriarchs, one of the great stories, and then Moses and David. I, I love those guys. I, I can hardly wait to meet them. I, I get such inspiration from their lives, and I've been reading in Genesis uh, the last couple of weeks and reading, I don't know how many times I've read the story of Abraham, dozens of times, and it just always blesses me. Uh, so... Um, that's what I'm going to focus on, because you can't possibly focus on all these people. So I picked one, and I, I picked Abraham. And the point is, who do you emulate in Scripture? Do you have a, a hero in the Bible that is your hero, that you draw inspiration from, that you would like to emulate? I hope you do. I hope these people become personal to you, because that's why their stories are uh, counted in there. Let's uh, read the first three verses. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. 
This is what the ancients were commanded for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what, was, what is seen was not made of, of what is visible. So just a, a kind of a recap on what faith is. Faith, I, some versions of my faith say that faith is the assurance. You know, it's just being sure. And for some people, maybe you're not all that sure. Um, but it's not about your assurance. You know, not that your assurance in your faith, it's your assurance in Jesus, okay? And so if your faith isn't very big or your assurance isn't very strong, you just, maybe you need to know more about who Jesus is because that's where it's supposed to rest on, not on yourself, but on him. It's the assurance of what we hope for. What do we hope for with Jesus? Well, you know, we sang about him this morning and, you know, about his suffering and his, his death and the fact that his blood washes away our sins. And um, what do we hope for? Well, we hope to meet him someday. We, we trust that he saves us. And, and, um, and so we're looking forward to that day when we meet him. We sang that alabaster song, you know, you know my lips uh, so lost for words. <laughs> what are we possibly going to say? We'll just bow and worship and, man, it's going to be incredible. And so it's, there's this certainty I know when, when you first come to faith, you're, maybe the certainty's small and the conviction isn't great, but as, you, as he becomes bigger in your life, as we become more aware of who he is, I think the conviction and the certainty ought to grow. That's God's intention, to grow our faith. Um, another way of looking at it is this settled confidence in God. Maybe you don't have all your questions answered uh, but you believe in God, and you believe that God is in control of everything, and you have a confidence in God. That's what you should do. You should have a confidence in him. It's a persuasion. I, I, that's one of my favorite words for faith is that I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That persuasion that God is good. And that's a big issue for a lot of people, especially, you know, you went into this chapter and you get all this upheaval in people's lives, the persuasion that he's good, that God's able, that he's all-powerful and able to do all that he's promised. And maybe the biggest one, that it's true. Are you persuaded that it's true? These are all aspects of what he's talking about here, about faith. And, and then the faith becomes motivation, a motivation to trust him and a motivation to obey him. And if your faith is strong and your conviction is good and your persuasion is uh, deep, um, obedience just becomes kind of like breathing. It's not that you're obedient all the time, but you, that's what you want to do, and that's what you're drawn to do. Um, I was looking at the Gospel Project material, and he was trying to define faith, and he was talking about faith as an emptiness or a weakness, and I was kind of like not really tracking with that, but he talked about faith as like an empty hand, and I kind of like that, but an empty hand, not an empty mind. But an empty hand, and to me, it's you know raised to God by a willing mind. Like I'm willing to have faith. You've, you know, it's, it's got to involve your person. It can't just be an emptiness. But there's a sense of a willingness to reach out to God. And I think when people reach out to God, God's pretty good at reaching back. That's what He does. Let's just read uh, the passage about Abraham, uh, beginning in chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. 
for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's why he didn't care that Lot picked the best land. He didn't really care because he, he knew he wasn't going to be there for long. And so Lot picked the best land and Abraham took the other land because Abraham was looking forward to something greater. And that's really instructive for us. Verse 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, like he was, what, 99? That's good commentary, good as dead. Um, you just don't expect a 99-year-old man to father a child, right? Um, he came, uh, from this one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, kind of like us. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. You ever wonder why you don't fit in this world? Because you weren't made for this world. You're made for a better country. You're made for a different culture, the culture of God. That's where you're going to feel most at home. We're just passing through. Hallelujah. we got a homecoming. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now that wasn't in Abraham's plan. You know, Abraham heard the call of God and he left uh, the Babylonian area and he went to the land of Canaan. Uh, what we would call modern Israel. And he went because God called him, and, and he was obedient to God's call. And then God said, you're going to have a son. He had no son. And he was about 75 years old when he first got that promise. And, uh, you know, and, and then the years went by, and the years went by. And uh, it became kind of a family joke, you know. When God showed up with two angels, uh, and they said, you're going to have a son this time next year, Sarah laughed. She said, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that one before. Look at him. <laughs> He's as good as dead. Uh, like, apparently, she was something else because like, she was so beautiful, he had to keep saying he was his, her sister. But anyway, he didn't, uh, he didn't look like he was uh, going to be the guy. And uh, so they, you know, they tried other things because uh, uh, she couldn't conceive, and so they tried her, 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 uh, mistress, her concubine, his concubine. And anyway, you get, and so you get this son. Finally, they have this son, and it must have been incredible to have a son at 100 years old. And, and uh, so Abraham's got all these plans, all these plans. Um, you like to plan? Now, here's where we see how many men like to plan. Who said that? <laughs> Does your man not plan? Okay, uh, 
Good answer. Well, I like to plan. I, I'm kind of a little obsessive about plans. I, uh, anyway, I, so I was, you know, I, I'm, I've been instructed over the years about what the Bible says about plans. So I want to look at plans for a second in, in Proverbs. Proverbs has some, just some jewels about uh, uh, plans. Proverbs 16.1, to man belong the plans of the heart. You know, God puts us in our hearts to plan. We're, we're built to plan. But from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. So this word for plans means preparations. So to man belong the preparations of the heart. And so we, we love to plan. We're thinking of doing something and we're planning. And, and, um, but we don't control anything. We don't control circumstances. It says here, from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. We don't control people's answers. We make our plans. I've been making all these plans for this trip we're going to take. I'm telling you, it's a plan. I got a plan. Man, it's a beautiful plan. But I keep saying, Lord, please let me fulfill the plan. Because <laughs> I have no control over the plan. And I, the Lord would be kind of saying, yeah, you can plan until the cows come home. But I'm the one that you got to be most concerned about. So that's, you know, that's what we do. And we don't control anything. Um, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. So I do a lot of praying, and this uh, word for plans is the intentions and the project, like kind of the, you know, the, the thing that you want done. And, and so the Lord says, you know, commit your life to me. Commit yourself to me, and uh, your plans will succeed. Verse 9, in, a, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And this word for plan means to weave and to calculate and and, and that's what I've been doing, you know. I, I'm looking at highways and maps, and, and I'm weaving this trip. And, but the Lord directs my steps, and so that could change, right? Um, I doubt, as much as I would hope and as much as I try, that the way I weave my plans together is going to be what actually happens. It's just good to be prepared. But... Um, it says in Pro, uh, Jeremiah, God has plans. One of my favorite verses, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I know that God promised that to Israel. But Jesus repeated those words in uh, in the Gospels. You know, you'll find him if you seek with him with all your heart. Why? Because God's got plans for everybody. God's got a preferred future uh, for everybody. But you have to watch out that you don't ignore the Lord with your plans. Because then you can pretty much guarantee it's not going to go well. Uh, Jeremiah 29, or 18, 12. It's no use. They will reply, we will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Those plans aren't going to get you anywhere. And if the Lord's not the focus of your plans and you're not, you know, uh, putting him at the kind of the forefront of all the plans you make for your life, your plans aren't going to go anywhere. Except down. So I've been made... How many of you, your life has worked out, like, you know, 
I'm in my 60s here, and there's quite a crowd of us, you know, in that group, and then there's a bunch of you in your 50s and 40s, and then 30s and 20s, and so we're all kind of moving through life, and I remember back when I was, you know, 28, 35 in there, and making all these plans, and this is how life was going to go. How many of you have, you know, that's how it's gone? You, it went the way you thought it was going to go. So far, so good. Eh? <laughs> You're just young, yes. <laughs> um, I used to, uh, I still have the a CD by uh, Twyla Paris. It was her first CD. And, uh, of course, Jenny always made fun of my love for Twyla Paris. She thought it was too cheesy. Um, and, you know, 1980, Christian music. But I, I like the song because when Twyla Paris was about 20 years old, she wrote this song. And every once in a while, I'll put it on because it expresses how I feel. And this is some of the words. All I see is that I don't see what's ahead of me. Well, I can relate to that. I'm afraid my life will never be all I hope for in the end. All I know is that I don't know where the road will go. If I dream, then will I find it so? Will tomorrow be my friend? All my plans are falling through, and I don't understand. Yes, I know my world is in your hand. But won't you tell me once again? Sing me a lullaby and tell me I'm your child. I regularly got to go to God for that. Because I know that my world is in his hands. But I need his encouragement so that I know it now, not just I heard it yesterday. We regularly need to go to the Lord um, for that encouragement. Um, when I was in Regina for the, the preliminary hearing, um, the uh, our lead investigator, she gave me Jenny's journal. She photocopied it for me. And I was kind of dreading it. I took it home, and I just left it there on the shelf, and I decided uh, to read it Friday, so about three weeks. I just kind of needed you know, the time to think about it. And uh, so I read it Friday, and uh, oh, gee, it was hard to read. I mean, just the pain in her heart the struggle in her life and uh, you know by then I'd finished this sermon and, and uh, so I'm talking about embracing God's plan for your life like how do I embrace that I don't know how to embrace that I've been reading about Jacob and you know he lost Joseph and he said you know my, I'm going to go down mourning to the grave and, and I've said Lord I don't want to do that I mean I know I'm always going to be grieving but I don't want to be buried in it I don't want it to affect everything else or, or ruin everything else. I'm not sure uh, even how to express it. But I regularly talk to God about this stuff because it, for us it just won't go away. We've got things coming at us down the road, and that's what happens when somebody gets murdered. And I was thinking, you know, you know we never signed up for this, and we always say that, right? I didn't sign up for this. And, and the truth is, well, we didn't sign up for anything, <laughs> did you? What did you sign up for when you were popped into this world? Nothing. God signed you up, right? You didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose where you'd be born, who you'd be born to, what you'd be like. God signed you up. And I tell you, God signs you up for a whole lot of stuff that you think, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? This life isn't supposed to be like this. And, and then you read something like, uh, 
Hebrews 11 is like, wow, look what God signed Abraham up for. One of the things that uh, I uh, got convicted about when I was walking uh, the roads in Cape John this winter was uh, just this thought came to me. You know, I should have died like Jenny died. I sh that's where I was going. And God rescued me. And God upheaved my life in a good way. And I received from the Lord an abundant life of blessing. And I can accept that. <laughs> I willingly embrace that plan that God rescued me. So how can I not accept God's plan for my daughter? And so I told the Lord, you know, she died the death I should have died. I'm going to live the life she should have lived. I'm going to live what I've got left to the fullest because... That's the plan of God. God wants me to live. So the first point is the plans of man are subordinate to the purpose and will of God. He signs you up. And we need to wrestle and come to terms with that. The second thing is that God's plan for my life overrides my plans. So how can I embrace that instead of chafing against it? Because I dare say that on any given week, uh, there's a large part of the body that you're wrestling with something in your life. It's probably a rare time when you're not. And wrestling tends to be you want to win. <laughs> you know, you want to conquer, you want to control, you want to take charge. And... Uh, Actually, uh, it's God who wants to win, and God will take charge. And a lot of our struggle as believers is that we chafe against God's control. Someone put, uh, posted a few weeks ago, we asked God to change our situation, not knowing he put us in the situation to change us. That's the sovereignty of God, folks. That's what he, we mean about God signing you up. God puts you in situations and you would think, how did I ever get in this situation? What did I do wrong to get in this situation? How come, you know, uh, this happened to me? And that's not the question. The question is, what does God want me to do in this situation? How does he want to change me in this situation? I read uh, the definition of unembrace, to hold someone closely in one's arms, especially as a sign of affection. It also means to accept or support something willingly and enthusiastically, like a belief or a theory. Uh, synonyms are like welcome or accept or receive. So I was saying, what does it mean to embrace God? Well, first it means to embrace him personally. I, I can't get my arms around him, these arms, but I can, I can get my heart around him. I, I, I can reach out to him by faith and I can put myself around him and my thoughts around him and I can love him I, I, we can do that we can embrace God a lot of people are afraid to embrace God that's the first part it's not just about embracing his plans it's about embracing him and then the second part is accepting his plan willingly and I think it's not a whole lot different than it talks about in 
in Hebrews uh, 4 about entering his rest. That you just come to a place of rest where you're good with it. You're at peace with God and, and you're okay with what he's doing. Now guaranteed, something will come along and upheave that and then you will be restless and then you will have to learn rest in that area, in that phase of your life for those people in your life. It's just a constant journey. So let's look at, uh, quickly look at uh, what Abraham did. Uh, Abraham, uh, Genesis uh, 22, um, verse 2. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So here he's got this boy. He's probably a teenage boy by now. And, and the Lord says, I want you to sacrifice everything I've promised and everything you love. That's why I love this story. That's why we love this story. God was asking him to sacrifice everything. He wasn't just saying, Abraham, give me your life. He was saying, give me your son. We love. I was reminded of a, what Jesus said in, in Matthew 10, 37. Um, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever loses his life, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so God was saying, Abraham, I want you to put me before your son. I want first place. I love Abraham's response. It was just so. That's how I want to respond. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood. He did not question God at all. He took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire... And the wood are here. Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Abraham was like God the Father. And Isaac was like Jesus. And God the Father carried the wood. They carried the fire and the knife and the son carried the wood, like this willingness. Hey, Isaac's willingness, too, is so instructive. God calls us to trust him enough to obey anything he asks, even when it cuts us to the core. And God is not above doing that. And you talk to anybody who has raise a family and watch them grow up and they will tell you of pain that has cut them to the core. I don't know anybody who that doesn't happen to. One way or another. It's part of God's way of working with us. Verse 9, when they'd reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham trusted God. He didn't know what God was going to do but he knew God was going to do something. He was going to do something. Because God promised that out of that son would come a nation. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember what he's promised. Not how we feel. When he asks us something hard, he's asking something hard. And he said, but remember the promise. It's over here. Don't forget the promise. You read in Isaiah 55, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We've got to remember that because we don't, we don't see very far. You can look back and see quite a ways, but you can't see beyond like the night. You can't see tomorrow. I mean, what can we really see? Is there any Kleenex around here? We used to have lots of Kleenex in this church. I don't seem to have any Kleenex anymore. Thank you very much. Um, and the point of the promise is that, you know, God will provide a greater future than what he asks us to give up in the present. That's why he said, eye is not heard, or eye, eye is not seen, or ear is not heard, nor is entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Like, and we read those words, and, and God says, you've you got to really believe they're true. And so that what I ask you to give up in the present won't seem like a greater cost than the reward that's coming. You just can't see it. That's why we've got to trust him. That's why we've got to believe he's good. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, which we know as Mount Moriah, which is basically where Jerusalem is and where Calvary, where Jesus was sacrificed on basically the same area. Really incredible, eh? Really incredible that... You know, maybe 1,800 or so years before Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, God had already prefigured it. That's where Abraham went. <laughs> That's where he went. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through you, through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. 
would have happened if he hadn't obeyed him? <laughs> Hard to imagine. Maybe God would have had to find somebody else. You know what that tells me is that uh, the act of obedience and trust of one disciple today can provide a living testimony that transforms faith for other people and a blessing that can extend far beyond what we can imagine. You know, we, we just seem to, and it's just the way we are, we just, we just live in this zone, and we just, you know, we have a hard time seeing beyond, and, and you know, this is a big deal for Abraham, but he had no idea how big a deal it was. Way bigger than he thought it was, and then God, you know, God showed up and told him and kind of gave him the big picture. Kind of like, you know, we get the big picture, but we have such a hard time of, of seeing it. You get to chapter 24. Um, <laughs> this is so great. Uh, Abraham, he's really old now. He thought he was as good as dead. He lived to be 175, didn't he? Back then, 100 couldn't have been that bad back then because I think Jacob was having kids in his 80s or whatever. Um, anyway, says to his chief servant of his household, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. He did not want Isaac to marry somebody from the land. He said, servant, you, take, you go and get a wife for my son, for my relatives living back in, or back in the Babylonian area. And so that's a great story. You know, how the servant goes and God leads, uh, leads him to Rebecca and, and uh, you know, it just all works out. It, it, uh, and she is willing to go back with him and, you know, uh, Isaac meets her and, and they get married. And Abraham was looking out for his son. But Abraham didn't have any idea what it was picturing. Because when I read this, I'm thinking... This is just like the father sending his spirit out to get a bride for his son. That's what this prefigures. This prefigures what God the Father is doing today and, and, and the Holy Spirit is doing in the world today co to convince and to call people. Why? To, to, to make a bride for the Son of God. So if God's plan for Abraham 4,000 years ago is being fulfilled in his work to prepare a bride for Jesus, then I can trust that the mysterious ways he works in my life will have a glorious outcome. It just kind of struck me that I, it's, Abraham, you know, he saw, he, he envisioned a country, he knew that God was building a city, he knew that he was a pilgrim passing through, he knew God had promised him a blessing, he just didn't kind of grasp how big it is, and neither do I, but I can grasp how big God is, because God can do, and he can, I can't control outcomes, but God, he's, he's the one that does outcomes. He does outcomes bigger than anybody. When God plans and purposes and, and produces, look out, world. Look out, Christian. It's just going to be, 
So it's natural and it's human to chafe at some of the ways of God, the painful things that we've got to go through. But we've got to believe that God's got a purpose for these things. God's just not a random God, and he's kind of like every, things are falling haphazardly and everything's out of control. God's a sovereign God, and he does things with a purpose in mind. And so even if life is full of upheaval, we can put our plans and our life into his hands. And I think that's why Hebrews 11. Ends with this, uh, verse 39. These are all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had only planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who from the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus just, I don't think just endured the cross, I think he embraced the cross. It's like Isaac never complained to Abe, what are you doing, Dad? What are you doing putting the wood on me? He was satisfied with the father's explanation and the two of them went on together. And he never, you don't hear him saying, Dad, what are you doing putting me on the altar? Dad, what are you doing with that knife? You just have this silent acquiescence to the great plan of God. That's really instructive for us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. In 1981, when I called on the name of Jesus, he saved me, and he changed my life. And that's all I did. Uh, that's all I did. That's all I could do. It's like uh, Chris was saying earlier, we're not worthy. It wasn't because I was such a great person that God saved me. It was because I realized I was a wreck. I was broken, a mess. I don't know what kind of mess you have, but I know we all got one. We all kind of hide it, but we're all dragging a mess around. And the beauty of it is, you know, you don't need to impress the Lord. You can't impress him because he knows. He knows the brokenness and he knows the mess. You know what impresses Jesus? Humility. Honesty. Just to simply say, Lord, Look at this mess. I need you to save me from this mess. And Jesus said, you'll, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you search me with all your heart. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. So I invite you to think about it. And for those of us that know him, 
This is for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because it's not good enough to have done it yesterday. It's not good enough to have done it a week ago or a year ago or to, yeah, I've heard that, I've done that. You've got to do it today. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus for tomorrow. You've got to wake up tomorrow and fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author of your faith. He's the one that signed you up. He's the perfecter of your faith. Uh, he's the one who lived it for you and gave you his gift of righteousness. And I can't remember which version it's in, but I think it might be the King James. The finisher of our faith. That's why we need to fix our eyes on him. It's the only way we're going to get through this. But I'll tell you, like Steve said earlier in, in, when we were worshiping, if we, if we can fix our eyes on him, it makes all the difference. It's the only way I get up here this morning. I shared my testimony with the men yesterday at breakfast, and I basically cried all the way through it, right from the time of talking about when I came to the Lord. I, um, I'm broken. But the Lord lives in me. And so that's what I do. I just represent him. I say, you can trust him. Even if the worst happens, you can trust him. Because I believe God's got some plan for, for us that's way bigger, way better than I can imagine. Let's stand for prayer. Thank you, Lord. Um, this is not enough, Lord, to say thank you. Huh? I know when we get to heaven, we don't even be able to get that out. But we will fall at your feet. I think that day you will embrace us. We'll get an embrace that we've never known before. And so, Lord, today we need to embrace what you've given us today. And we need to embrace the promises you've given us for tomorrow. And we need to trust you and love you with all our hearts. God, help us to do that. I know, Lord, that for every person here today, there's a struggle. There's an ache. There's a pain. There's a question. There's a doubt. There's a mess. And, Lord, uh, you want to be right in the middle of that. You want to us to embrace you and embrace the plan that you have for us. So I pray you'd help us do that, Lord. Teach us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name.